This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Welcome to the Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 65th episode of the podcast. Before we get started, we have several people to thank who decided to join the independent media revolution. First, we have Tony from Holistic Networker, who donated in memory of Cheyenne Turner, the founder of Eclectic Viewpoint, Amato Fraga, Matthew Christ, Fergus Brown, Peak Services, Foosballs of Fire, and Brian Santani. So all of these individuals decided to either support us through Patreon, HumanistReport.com, or donate to us via PayPal. So if you too would like to support the Humanist Report, you can visit the links in the description box down below, or you can support the show for free by bookmarking our Amazon link, or you can simply whitelist us on Adblock if you are using it. So coming up on the podcast today, I will be talking about the final presidential debate John Oliver's attack on Jill Stein, the sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump, my response to Casey Neistat, Mike Pence's homophobia, Chris Cuomo's censorship, Bernie Sanders' attack on Gary Johnson, Hillary's confession about her Syrian no-fly zone policy, actress Shailene Woodley's activism, The Daily Show's downplaying of WikiLeaks, and finally, Donald Trump's claims of voter fraud will be deconstructed. So all of these topics will be discussed in today's episode. We also got a voicemail to get to. We've got a lot, so let's go ahead and jump right in. So on the last episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, he finally tackled third-party candidates and what is being held by everyone as an objective argument against third-party candidates is actually little more than a disingenuous smear job on Jill Stein. So before I talk about what he said, I'll preface this discussion by saying that I've been a longtime fan of John Oliver. I think he's done some phenomenal segments, and I think by and large, he's better than many of the other political comedians and political commentators. But with that being said, I completely disagree with him here. Now, before I even get to his arguments and address them, I have to give you the setup to just really show you how manipulative he was. So he talked about other lesser known candidates before he got to Jill Stein and Gary Johnson, and there's a specific reason for this. This may seem like a harmless inclusion that adds comedic value to the bit, but in actuality, what this is right here is a very deceptive psychological tactic to get you to think about Jill Stein in a certain light before he even brings her up. So by showing you weirdos like Joe Exotic, for example, you know, that's funny. We can all laugh at it, right? He's he's a kooky guy, but he's trying to prime you. He's trying to get you to associate third-party candidates with craziness. And if you kind of go into the bit with that in mind, then that's going to have a powerful effect. It's going to be a lot more persuasive when he makes his argument to you because he's going to set up this case that, you know, Jill Stein and third-party party candidates, just generally speaking, are crazy. They're illegitimate. So this is how you should think about third party candidates. So I just wanted to get that out of the way because I think it's really important. And it's a very manipulative way of getting people to react to Jill Stein in a certain way before they even see her face. Now, when he actually does get to Jill Stein, here's what his argument basically boils down to. It's three-man attacks. So one, he talks about her inability to explain quantitative easing in relation to her plan to cancel student debt. He then attacks her on principle. And then finally, he claims that, you know, she's crazy because she recorded a folk album. Yeah, okay, so getting to the quantitative easing bit, he claims that it's her flagship policy proposal that is to cancel student debt, but to me, that's one of her main policy proposals, but 
I actually am really voting for her because I like her Green New Deal. I think it's revolutionary and could potentially lead to us saving the planet. So I would disagree with him there. But I mean, his overall criticism of her is based on a straw man argument. What he extrapolated from that clip was that quantitative easing would be the only way to cancel student debt. And that Jill Stein thought that that was the only way to cancel student debt. But I never got this from her. And Jill Stein had previously stated that there are multiple ways a president can go about canceling student debt. But in casting my vote for Jill Stein, I'm not even expecting that a president would be able to accomplish this at all no matter which route she chooses to take it's going to be incredibly difficult but here's why this policy proposal is still crucial so when she actually starts negotiating with democrats and republicans if she were president well she would inevitably have to compromise and students would be much better off with someone like jill stein who was a radical who's saying i will cancel your student debt so i want someone on my side who's a radical, who's taking a really extreme position, because when that position gets watered down, I want something solid, I want something strong, and there's nobody stronger on this issue than Jill Stein. So regardless of how she goes about trying to cancel student debt, I don't think it's something that she can accomplish, but even if she cancels 20% of our student debt, that would be a huge relief for us. Even if you can't get it done, you're changing the narrative in the country. You're still making progress. You're hopefully getting a message out there using your bully pulpit as president that will resonate with the American people and changing the terms of the discussion. That's why she's important. That's why I want an extremist. So if you start negotiating with universal health care, maybe you'll get a public option. So, I mean, you don't start by compromising. That's one problem that the Democrats have. And that's one reason why I really like Jill Stein. She takes very extreme positions and I think that's a good thing. And when you look at political science studies, they show by and large that voters have the same strategy, not necessarily in America. But when you look at European countries, many voters will opt for more extreme parties because they know that what they actually want is policy X. But if they say they want the more extreme policy, policy Y then maybe that'll help them get policy X. Now, he also tried to attack her for not being principled when she claims that she is principled, and that's one of the hallmarks of her campaign. So first, he said that she supported Brexit, but then she was against it. And look, I don't know why this is the case, but I also changed my position on Brexit as well, because initially I was in favor of the UK staying in the EU because I thought that what it came down to was just nationalism. But when I talked to my viewers from the UK, I realized that it's a lot more complicated than that and that a vote to leave was more of an anti-establishment vote. A vote to leave was to prevent UK workers from getting screwed over by trade deals. So, I mean, now if you ask me what my position is on Brexit, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done if I was in the UK. It's a lot more complicated than the mainstream press in America is making it seem. He also says that she first tweeted that there's no evidence that autism is caused by vaccines. And then she replaced that tweet with one saying, I'm not aware of evidence linking autism with vaccines. And he says that this leaves the door open for doubt and it leaves the door open for measles ultimately, except it doesn't leave the door open for measles because regardless of how you frame it, she's not against vaccines. Hence, there's no policy implications that you can extrapolate from her position on this. And he refers to it as strategic vagueness. And maybe this is the case, but if you want to talk about strategic vagueness, well, I'm going to pivot to Hillary Clinton and use a tactic that Hillary Clinton does. You think, you know, I'm bad. Look at the Republicans. Well, if you think Jill Stein's bad, look at Hillary Clinton. That's what you call strategic vagueness. 
Look at WikiLeaks, Podesta emails, John. Now, he also criticized her for pandering to a 9-11 truther. And look, I don't agree with this guy either, but what is the ideal response? I mean, is she supposed to say, fuck you, you're a conspiracy theorist, sit down? I mean, should she have been more direct? Sure, I mean, you can make that case, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't something that's disqualifying, and I don't really think this is harmful. I don't think there's many policy implications that will hurt the American people. So by and large, I don't think that's a very persuasive argument against Jill Stein. Let's say that she did, in fact, change her position on Brexit and actually does pander to conspiracy theorists. If that's all the examples that you can use against Jill Stein to prove that she's not principled, then needless to say, I think she's pretty damn principled. Because when you compare her to any other option, I mean, if you want to talk about principle, Jill Stein is very principled. So you can cite these three examples, and sure, those are minuses against her if we accept them. If we accept that there's no legitimate reason why she changed her position on those, those are bad things. Those are negatives against her. She's not perfect. But I mean, Overall, she's still very principled. Now, the third argument, he really wants you to think about Jill Stein as a crazy person. He wants you to associate her with people like Joe Exotic. So when you look at her crazy lyrics and, you know, the fact that she had a folk album, he wants you to think, look at how kooky she is. I mean, she recorded a folk album where she talks about riding a bicycle, where she talks about stupid things and she can't sing. Well, look, if anything, this makes me like Jill Stein even more because when you listen to that, it sounds like she's having fun. Bernie Sanders also had a folk album. What policy implications does that have? I just think it shows that you're cool, you're trying to have fun, you're enjoying your life. Who cares? But I mean, the trick here was to get you to think that she's crazy. Look at her. She, look at how bad of a singer she is. She's like William Hung, guys. Remember him? She's such a bad singer. She must be crazy. She has a folk album. She talks about crazy things that don't even make sense. Now, finally, he makes a last-ditch effort to discredit Jill Stein by coming at you from the angle of empathy, saying, look, I, I get it. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are terrible candidates, and I want, I really, really want a third party to succeed. But I mean, when you look at the policies of these third party candidates, they just fall apart. And look, he can say this about Gary Johnson, and much of his criticisms of Gary Johnson are actually valid, but why don't you deconstruct her Green New Deal? Why don't you deconstruct her plan to defeat ISIS? Why don't you deconstruct her plan for a single-payer healthcare proposal? Oh, wait, because you can't. And here's the most important takeaway. No candidate is perfect. I completely agree with him. Jill Stein is not a perfect candidate. But her campaign doesn't exist in a vacuum. If you're seriously trying to tell me that Jill Stein is less principled than Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, you're not a serious person. If you really want to go tit for tat and compare Jill Stein to Hillary Clinton when it comes to policy, there's just no competition. And the only way that you would prefer Hillary Clinton over Jill Stein is if you're just more conservative. So if you're arguing from the standpoint of a progressive, which John Oliver is, there's no competition. Hands down, Jill Stein beats Hillary Clinton on policy. And look, there is an underlying implication here. He wants you to suck it up and vote for Hillary Clinton. So I mean, the network that last week tonight is on is HBO. Who's their parent company? Time Warner. Time Warner is the seventh largest donor to Hillary Clinton. So clearly there's an agenda there. The underlying implication here is that he wants you to vote for Hillary Clinton. And you can't really get that from this video. But when you look at other videos that John Oliver did, you know that he has a pro-Clinton agenda because he literally did a video where he defended Hillary Clinton from claims of corruption. He looked at one example where Clinton's State Department approved a weapons deal to a country that donated to the Clinton Foundation. But then he brushed it off by saying that other government agencies also had to sign off on that deal as well. Well, okay, 
Well, one, you're not being honest about the sway that Hillary Clinton had as Secretary of State, and you've also got hundreds of other pay-to-play deals to look at. So by looking at one example and saying, well, you know, this looks bad, but it's not corruption— well, that's not enough. That doesn't suffice. You have to look at all the other examples. And we have a plethora of evidence that shows that Hillary Clinton not just gave special access to donors to the Clinton Foundation when she was Secretary of State, but that she actually approved weapons deals for multiple governments that donated to the Clinton Foundation. So, I mean, the bottom line is that Jill Stein is not an illegitimate candidate. She's not in the same category as Joe Exotic. And if she was, John Oliver wouldn't have even did this segment because then she wouldn't be a threat. So Jill Stein threatens the Democratic Party establishment. And after robbing progressives out of Bernie Sanders, John Oliver wants to deceptively encourage you to support Hillary Clinton, but in a roundabout way. Uh, no thank you. I know about Jill Stein's policies, and that's why I'm voting for her over Hillary Clinton. So if you really want to discredit Jill Stein and go about it from the angle of policy, you're going to have to do better than that. You're going to have to look at more policies than just one, John, because this is just a terrible attempt at a smear job. Trevor Noah, the host of Comedy Central's The Daily Show, has joined the chorus of political pundits in the mainstream media that have tried to downplay what's in WikiLeaks' release of John Podesta's emails. Now, I want to show you the clip, but I can't because Viacom is the parent company of Comedy Central, and they are not very kind to YouTubers, even if it's fair use. So I'm going to try to walk you through the clip, and I will put a link down below if you do want to watch it. So I'd say watch that, and then come back. Otherwise, I'm going to explain it to you point by point, and then I will talk about what I had an issue with. Now, to be fair to him, he does talk about how bad it was that Donna Brazil floated questions to Hillary Clinton, and he also talked about how it's really troubling that news shows hire people from the campaigns. I agree with him there 100%, and I have no issues with that. But here's where it takes a turn for the worse. He warned, quote, be careful because when you dig further into these Hillary emails, you may find something that will bore you. And then he played a clip of a news anchor talking about how John Podesta's recipe for risotto was in there. And let me just say this to people like Vox and CNN and The Daily Show who are trying to poke fun at the WikiLeaks release of John Podesta's emails and mock it to downplay it and cite this risotto email, you're just being disingenuous because WikiLeaks didn't release this email to imply that there's something important in his recipe for risotto. They just released everything, including his weekly newsletters that he received, and allowed the American people to dig through it and find what's important in their own opinion. So you're not being clever here. It's incredibly manipulative what you're trying to do. Now, he goes into portions of the paid speeches that she gave to Goldman Sachs, and he tried to downplay one of the most troubling portions of it. So he said, quote, the worst thing in there was that she agreed with Abe Lincoln and said to get things done, politicians should have a public and private position. That's it. Really? What do you mean by that's it? You're okay with the fact that Hillary Clinton is literally lying to voters and has public and private positions? So when she says publicly that she does not support the TPP, you're fine with the fact that privately she does support it and will get in office and pass it? That's what you're saying. Because, I mean, in a democratic republic, we elect people based on the policies that they tell us they're going to pursue. So by admitting that you think it's acceptable for politicians to hold both public and private positions, you're basically against democracy. Because you're saying that politicians should be allowed to lie to us. Well, let me ask you this. Would you be okay with Republicans having public and private positions? 
We know they do, but of course you wouldn't, and you would hammer them for it and make fun of them for it. But since it's Hillary Clinton, it's okay, because Hillary Clinton can do nothing wrong. So all you're doing is encouraging Democratic Party loyalism here, Trevor. Now he continues, another damning part of her speech was that she said as a millionaire, she felt she was out of touch with the common person. Right, and she is out of touch, but it's deceptive because her campaign slogan is fighting for us. So how are you going to, quote, fight for us if you admittedly don't think you're in touch with us? Doesn't that seem manipulative to you? Wouldn't you want someone who actually is in touch with the American people? Now, he ends by saying that Trump and Hillary are held to two different standards and says, think about this, if we can dig into your private emails and find out about your deepest, darkest secrets and the worst thing we could find is that your dreams are basically a PBS documentary and and with that he was referring to the open market comment that she made, an open borders comment, and he says, yeah, the guy that Hillary is running against has made us cringe with the things he said in public. I'm just saying. Well, you're right there. They are held to two different standards because the media actually does hold Trump accountable for some of the things that he says, but they give Hillary Clinton a free pass on everything. I mean, with the WikiLeaks release of the DNC emails that showed she just straight up rigged the election against Bernie Sanders, you guys didn't cover that. You're not covering WikiLeaks. You're trying to downplay it. And that's not the deepest, darkest things that was found in these emails, Trevor. If you would have read through them, you would have found evidence that her campaign was in contact with the Department of Justice during her FBI investigation. You would have found evidence of collusion between her and various media outlets, not just Donna Brazil and CNN. You would have found that she's coordinating with super PACs. So by pulling out this one example and saying, oh, this is the worst here, guys. It's not that bad. You're being incredibly disingenuous. Why didn't you mention how she knows that her plan for a Syrian no-fly zone would kill Syrian civilians, yet she's still in favor of it? I mean, here's the thing. People used to tune in to The Daily Show. I did anyways, because I felt like it was something different. In the mainstream media, you know, they would give you an objective look at politics. And regardless, if you were a Democrat or Republican, if you were just on the wrong side of the issues, then you would be called out for it. But I mean, all that Trevor Noah has been doing is shilling for the Democratic Party. So if you're just going to be a Democratic Party loyalist like everyone else in the media, then why would we watch you? Why are we tuning in? I mean, your jokes aren't funny enough to keep us. So if you're just going to do what every other news channel is going to do, why should we support your show? Why should we watch you? What incentive do we have? We're not getting anything different than when we turn on the channel to the mainstream media. And in fact, I would probably argue that turning on the mainstream news like CNN has more comedic value than your show because you could see people like Chris Cuomo just brazenly try to shill for Hillary Clinton and censor news about WikiLeaks. Through WikiLeaks that she says one thing uh, and... Oh, no. All right, let's see if we can get Congressman Collins back. Obviously, we just lost the satellite feed. That sucks. So in the end, Trevor Noah's political commentary has been bad. He was bad on Bernie Sanders during the primary, and he's bad now. He's just not objective, and he's a Democratic hack just like any other journalist in the mainstream media. And I get that this is a comedy show, but still, you had power. You had sway. You had a large audience that you could genuinely inform about the issues but you're not interested in that you're more interested in playing team party politics you want the democrats to win no matter what so any and everything they do any and everything hillary clinton does is by definition good because they're not republicans that's not the way journalism works trevor when it comes to cnn's chris cuomo i wanted to just take a minute and commend him for his consistent journalistic integrity (laughs) 
And, and by journalistic integrity, I mean being a complete and utter shill for Hillary Clinton, of course, because that's apparently how you measure whether or not someone is a good journalist. What are you doing to defeat Trump? Are you trying to uh, help Hillary Clinton? All right, good journalist. That's what everyone apparently uh, believes now. So we've all lost our minds in this country. But you don't have to take my word for it that Chris Cuomo is a Hillary shill. You can take Chris Cuomo's word for it. But she does take quite a while longer. Mm. What happens to other folks who want a chance a to run against her? Because she's doing what they call in politics freezing pockets because the donors are giving her money thinking she's going to run. That means they're not going to have available money for other exactly. candidates if she doesn't. And I don't think she's going to give it to them. She's on her way to deciding. We'll see. About deciding. We couldn't help her any more than we have. <laughs> I know. You know I mean, she's she's got just a free ride so far from the media. We're the biggest ones promoting her campaign. So, gotcha, bitch. We couldn't help her any more than we have. I know. You know I mean, she's, she's I know. got just a free ride so far from the media. We're the biggest ones promoting her campaign. No shit. So there you have it. CNN admitted that they are one of the biggest promoters of Hillary Clinton's campaign. And that's not surprising, seeing that Time Warner is the parent company of CNN, who also happens to be the seventh largest donor to Hillary Clinton. So you have this conflict of interest, but now you actually see how that plays out in their news coverage, because Chris Cuomo has been trying to desperately censor news about the WikiLeaks scandal, because that would obviously hurt Hillary Clinton. Take a look. What do you think Donald Trump needs to do to come out on top? Well, on the character issue, the public, you know, two-thirds or more of the public knows that Hillary Clinton's a liar. She can't be trusted. And now the two faces of Hillary Clinton are coming out. The fact, through WikiLeaks, that she says one thing uh, and... Oh, no. All right, let's see if we can get Congressman Collins back. Obviously, we just lost the satellite feed. That sucks. Um... Uh, and... Now that's not all that Chris Cuomo is doing to try to help Hillary Clinton and silence people who want to talk about WikiLeaks. He's also literally fabricating laws that don't exist, trying to persuade people to not look at the WikiLeaks email, because if you do that, you might be held legally liable uh, and you're breaking the law. So you have to let CNN look at the WikiLeaks thing for you and tell you what's in it. And we've looked at it, trust us, and we can tell you there's nothing in there. Also interesting is remember, it's illegal to possess uh, these stolen documents. It's different for the media. So everything you learn about this, you're learning from us. And in full disclosure, let's take a look at what is in there and what it means. Always lying to me. So this obviously demonstrates that Chris Cuomo is in the tank for Hillary Clinton. And we knew that he was an avid Clinton supporter back during the primaries when he did a town hall with Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. And all the questions were skewed against Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders had flip-flopped on gun control. He said, Bernie, tell him how you flip-flopped on gun control. Yet he didn't call Hillary Clinton out for flip-flopping on the TPP and a hundred other policy issues that she's flip-flopped on. But he called out Bernie Sanders for that, and just generally speaking, he was much more kind to Hillary Clinton, and I called him out for it during the primaries during his town hall. A couple things that I noticed, I don't know if I'm crazy, but you know, let me just throw them out there. So he was really, really soft towards Hillary Clinton. He tried to quote challenge her a couple of times, but he didn't push back against Hillary Clinton like he did against Bernie Sanders. And furthermore, when it comes to time restraints, so he interrupted Bernie Sanders, he interrupted Martin O'Malley, but Hillary Clinton droned on for like 50 minutes 
about foreign policy, and how, well, I flew to Cairo to meet with President Morsi of Egypt, then I was here, then I was there. I mean, was he ever going to cut her off? Because he certainly cut off Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley, so I thought that that wasn't fair. And you can really tell who Chris Cuomo's candidate was. It certainly wasn't Bernie Sanders, it certainly wasn't Martin O'Malley. This guy's not a real journalist, and he doesn't want you to know what's in WikiLeaks because he knows that would hurt Hillary Clinton. Well, here's the problem with that. If you're a journalist, you're not supposed to give a shit about what helps or hurts candidates. You're supposed to report the news and allow your viewers to make their own decision, but you don't want to do that. And since Chris Cuomo doesn't want to actually talk about what's in WikiLeaks, I'm going to tell you what's in WikiLeaks because I think that as a citizen who's going to be voting, you deserve to know. I mean, it doesn't matter whether or not these things are going to hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign or how much of a madman Trump is in comparison. What matters is that we have the truth out there and that citizens can make their decision based on facts. But when you try to censor the WikiLeaks scandal, then you diminish the integrity of our democracy and you prevent people from making a, an objective decision. And it's just so frustrating. So let me tell you what's in WikiLeaks. So the first email shows that John Podesta... Oh no, obviously we just lost the satellite feed. That sucks. At the third and final debate, Hillary Clinton framed her support for a Syrian no-fly zone as a humanitarian necessity. Now, she's made this argument before, as have Republicans who support it, like Jeb Bush, because they contend that if you institute this Syrian no-fly zone, then it will allow Syrians to take refuge in these places and escape violence. But we all know that this is very deceptive, and this isn't one of the actual consequences that will come to fruition if you do put in place a Syrian no-fly zone. Now, Hillary Clinton isn't ignorant about this. She knows why it's damaging, and in fact, in a speech to Goldman Sachs leaked by WikiLeaks, we now know that Hillary Clinton is aware of how damaging this would be to Syrian civilians. So The Intercept explains, in her remarks to Goldman Sachs, Clinton pointed to the Syrian government's air defense systems and noted that destroying them would take the lives of many civilians. They're getting more sophisticated thanks to Russian imports. To have a no-fly zone, you have to take out all of the air defense, many of which are located in populated areas. So our missiles, even if they are standoff missiles, so we're not putting our pilots at risk, you're going to kill a lot of civilians, she said. So all of a sudden, this intervention that people talk about so glibly becomes an American and NATO involvement where you take a lot of civilians. While Clinton admitted these complications in establishing a no-fly zone, she also urged other forms of intervention, and there is still an argument that goes on inside the administration and inside our friends at NATO and the Europeans. How to intervene? My view was you intervene as covertly as possible for Americans to intervene. We used to be much better at this than we are now, she said. And that's because we now have print media and we can see pictures and get video footage so the government can't lie to us as much. So look, this really shows the character of Hillary Clinton. There's really no reason for us to institute a no-fly zone unless we want to be further entrenched in the war. This is what she wants. And even if it's going to cost Syrian lives, she's in favor of it. Now, this is one of multiple reasons why the Syrian no-fly zone is very problematic. I can name four. So one is that it would obviously get us further entrenched in the ongoing Syrian debacle. Two, it might actually require American boots on the ground in order to be maintained. Three, of course, it would kill many Syrian civilians. And four, it could reignite a new Cold War. So why would you want this if you know the facts, if you know that this would kill civilians 
Why would Hillary Clinton support this? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because her donors want her to. So this is really troubling that Hillary Clinton is basically putting profit above life. And this is one of the main reasons why progressives just can't support Hillary Clinton. It's a lose-lose situation except for your donors. So why would you do it? It just doesn't make sense. And look, here's the thing that I have to state. Donald Trump also supports a Syrian no-fly zone. During the VP debate, Mike Pence and Tim Kaine were in vigorous agreement about the Syrian no-fly zone. So regardless of who wins, we're getting a Syrian no-fly zone. This is going to be a reality, but now we know what's going to happen. It's going to kill civilians. We're probably going to need boots on the ground to maintain it, and we might just start a new Cold War because of it. This is what you have to choose from. Either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is your options of who's going to win. You can vote third party, but one of those two will win, and guess what's going to happen? You're getting a Syrian no-fly zone. So if Russia crosses that Syrian no-fly zone and violates it, then are you going to shoot down their planes, Hillary? Because that would be an act of war. And when she was asked about this during the primaries in a debate, she said, look, I don't think it would come to this. I don't think Russia would violate the Syrian no-fly zone. Really? Really? Because you seem to think that Russia is pretty bad. I mean, you blame them in every chance you get about hacking your emails and hacking John Podesta's emails and hacking the DNC's emails. So why would they not violate your no-fly zone? It just goes against logic, and I, I don't even know what to say about this. It's just, it's sad that this is the political situation that we face. So in an effort to convince all of his supporters who will be voting for Gary Johnson to fall in line and support Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders has been launching numerous attacks against Gary Johnson. So Ross Story explains, Gary Johnson, any restriction on campaign spending violates the First Amendment, the Monday tweet from Sanders staff read. Translation, billionaires will be free to buy elections. On the basic economic issues, trade, minimum wage, climate change, pay equity, Gary Johnson's positions are disastrous, an October 16th tweet from Sanders read. In an interview with Now This, Sanders explained his rationale for asking his supporters to unite around Clinton instead of Johnson. Around 80% of the Democratic national platform is in harmony with what he and his campaign stand for, Sanders argued. So when you ask me, where do we go from here, in a sense, it means that we implement this, he said. Sanders went on to warn against complacency, urging his supporters not to just sit back and relax once Clinton is in office. Now, I'm split on this because when it comes to Gary Johnson's policies, I do agree with Bernie Sanders that on many issues, he would be disastrous. While I agree with him on some domestic issues like pot legalization and social issues and also foreign policy issues, well, when it comes to the economy, I mean, he supports trickle-down economics. He supports the TPP. And so unlike other libertarians, he's not a protectionist. So in many ways, I think that Gary Johnson would be a very harmful candidate. And he also doesn't want to fight for climate change. So I'm vehemently against these types of economic policies that Gary Johnson wants to implement. But the problem with Bernie Sanders' argument and the rationale for trying to persuade people to vote for Hillary Clinton is that it assumes that the Democratic Party will actually carry out the policies they said they will in their platform. This is not a legally binding document, and with the WikiLeaks release of John Podesta's emails, we now know that they decided to offer these phony concessions to us to make us, quote, think that we won when they don't actually lose. So, that's problematic to me. We already knew that 
they implemented these policies. Hillary Clinton adopted the idea of tuition-free colleges at public universities just to get Bernie Sanders to drop out and endorse her. So we know that she actually doesn't want to fight for this. So when you base the reason for voting for Hillary Clinton on this, it's not going to be very persuasive, and he doesn't really get that. And one thing that Bernie Sanders can't understand, and I know that deep down it still bugs him too, is that his supporters find what she did during the primary unforgivable. When you collaborate with the DNC to literally destroy your opponent, that's not forgivable. And let's not forget that she benefited suspiciously from the election fraud. One report estimates that Bernie lost 184 pledged delegates to election fraud. So this is something that is very frustrating. We feel as though Hillary Clinton is an illegitimate candidate because she won the primary by cheating. And here's the thing that Bernie Sanders and many other people don't get. Bernie Sanders had many independent supporters. Now, independents can swing both ways in terms of policy. So it's not surprising that many of them are supporting Gary Johnson because many conservative Republicans and libertarians, I'd argue, probably supported Bernie Sanders because they wanted him to get money out of politics because both parties are plagued by money in politics. So I would support a Republican that was anti-establishment, that was saying that wanted to get money out of politics. So that's probably why they supported uh, Bernie Sanders. And in supporting Gary Johnson, that's not too surprising to me. Now, when it comes to Jill Stein, there's really no arguments that you can make against Jill Stein. And the problem that I have is that Bernie Sanders, as well as other people, are saying you shouldn't protest, vote, you shouldn't vote your conscience, as Hillary Clinton said that we should do, because, you know, you're going to hand the election to Donald Trump. But here's the thing. That encourages more and more Democratic Party loyalism, and Hillary Clinton is up in the polls. So yes, we don't want to be complacent, but when you just encourage blind support for Hillary Clinton and saying you should vote for her no matter what, that's a problem. So if the Democrats like Hillary Clinton and the aggregate party were really worried about a spoiler like Jill Stein or Gary Johnson, here's what they can do. Implement actual electoral reform and put in place ranked choice voting across the country. There'd be no spoilers. Or we can abolish the electoral college so that way it's just the popular vote. That would make it so that way these swing states wouldn't determine the election. So you can't get mad at people for voting against Hillary Clinton after what she did. She's running in a so-called liberal party as a conservative, and that's something that's not going to resonate with a lot of people. So if they want to vote against Hillary Clinton and support Jill Stein or Gary Johnson, I think there's no problem with that. And by saying that, you know, the Democrats are going to actually be obligated to carry out the platform that they're proposing, it's bullshit. And I think Bernie Sanders knows it, but he sees Donald Trump as the lesser of two evils. And that's fine, but I just think... You gotta be honest about it. The Dakota Access Pipeline protests have received little to no coverage from the mainstream press, and as a result, both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, the two mainstream presidential options, have been silent on the issue. So if the media doesn't make something an issue, then the presidential candidates don't have to speak about it. Now, thankfully, that's beginning to change, but what it took to actually get press is a little bit frustrating. So actress Shailene Woodley, who's been speaking out on behalf of the Dakota Access Pipeline protesters, was arrested. And this is finally garnering news coverage. Because I was trespassing like everyone else. But as soon as you guys asked me to leave, I left. There you left. Was, you she left. was down there. Everybody was down there. Left. I'm being arrested. I didn't. I was down there with everybody else. I don't know what's going on. As soon as they came, I left. It's because I'm well known. It's because I have 40,000 people watching.
right, so everybody knows we are going to our vehicle, which they had all surrounded and waiting for me with giant guns and the giant truck behind them just so they could arrest me so they knew this would happen. I hope you're watching mainstream media. I hope you're watching us because she's been taken. That's too bad. So ABC News explains, Woodley was arrested on October 10th for protesting the four-state crude oil pipeline that has courted controversy since earlier this summer, when the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe sued to block its construction, claiming the pipeline threatened the tribe's water supply and traversed culturally sacred sites. Actress Shailene Woodley pleaded not guilty today to criminal trespass and riot charges that came following her arrest earlier this month while protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline in North Dakota. Woodley faces a maximum penalty of 60 days in jail and or a fine of up to 3000 if convicted, according to court documents from the district court in Morton County, North Dakota. That's what it took. It took a celebrity to get arrested in order for the news to mention the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, they're not necessarily covering it in the right way. It's more sensationalism. But, I mean, it's still coverage nonetheless. It's still a mention, and I think that's better than nothing. Now, this is frustrating because if... The media doesn't speak out about it. As I stated, then candidates don't have to speak out about it as well. But if the media covers something and they, they hammer on it, then the campaigns will be forced to respond. Where does she stand on Dakota Access Pipeline? Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm not as versed in that issue right now. So we, you don't, don't know, know if she's for or against the pipeline? What she's, for, what she's for is making investments in clean energy. I've answered your question now three times. I'm going to say well, it again. you don't know about Dakota. She's the really? It's just frustrating, and this is what happens if the media does not do their job. What's important is determined by the mainstream press, and what qualifies as important are things that make them the most money. So, I mean, shout out to Shailene Woodley. I really want to thank her for her activism, because without her, people probably wouldn't even know what the Dakota Access Pipeline is, and still many people don't know what it is, but it's people like her who are celebrities who have this high-profile who speak out for progressive issues. I mean, it's wonderful. And, you know, this encourages me to support any project that she does, any movie that she's in. I want to go and see it because I think as long as we can keep her famous, then she's going to continue to speak out on behalf of progressive issues. And even if she's not famous, I believe she's still going to do that. But the bigger her platform is, the bigger reach she'll have. And maybe she could shine a light on some of these issues that the media wants to ignore. So just the fact that she's a celebrity is powerful. So she's doing the right thing. And I, I honestly am very thankful to her. So if you're watching this, Shailene, uh, look, we're really appreciative of what you're doing. Thank you. Please keep it up uh, because it's people like you who are really helping to get media attention on these issues that they don't want to cover that won't make them money. And so even if it's sensationalistic, if they cover it from the celebrity angle, I don't care. I just want them to talk about it. Maybe if somebody hears about the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe or the Dakota Access Pipeline, Maybe they'll be inclined to go Google it and figure out what's going on and speak out about it and maybe donate to them. This is a big issue. We also saw them try to lodge faulty charges against Amy Goodman because she was doing journalism, which is her job, and they tried to charge her with the riot charges, but thankfully that was thrown out. But it just... This is really shady. What's going on at the Dakota Access Pipeline is shady. We have militarized police there. We have armed mercenaries there attacking people with dogs when they're doing what they are allowed to do under the First Amendment. 
protests. And the North Dakota government is trying to shut them down and nobody wants to talk about it. But thankfully, these type of acts, which I view as heroic from uh, Shailene Woodley, are what we need to get people to pay attention. YouTuber Casey Neistat challenged all non-political YouTubers to speak out about the election and told them to have backbone and told all of their viewers to challenge them if they're not willing to talk about politics, specifically about Hillary Clinton. Take a look. I will be voting for Hillary Clinton. This is about a megalomaniac who's driven by nothing but ego. A man who cares exactly zero about the people of this country. A person who brags about sexually assaulting women and shames others for the way they look. I'm speaking up now because this election has very little to do with politics, policy, or legislation. This has to do with morals and principles. I'm voting for Hillary because, make no mistake, there is only one person that can defeat him. One person that can keep him away from power, and it is her. I'm not a huge fan of her stale politics. I'm entirely aware of all the criticism against her. I'm aware of all of her failures and shortcomings. But she's intelligent, and she knows what she's doing. More importantly, she's mentally sound, she's responsible, and she's sane. I want to end this by calling out all the big YouTubers. Some I know, and some you viewers might know. See, making videos like this, they're not popular, they're not going to get you subscribers, they're not going to boost your view counts. But there is something much more valuable than subscribers or dollars, and that's backbone. That is not being scared to stand up for what is right regardless of the cost. If we're all banded together, we have the power to ensure that this tax-avoiding, lying, racist, misogynist stays away from power and out of the White House. But it requires all of us coming together. So if your favorite YouTuber says things like, I don't like to talk politics on my channel, or I'm not going to reveal who I'm voting for, call them out. Sitting on the sidelines this time around is not okay. This election is different. And if this guy gets elected, and you stood back with your arms folded and didn't speak out against him, it makes you complicit. It makes you partially responsible for handing him the reins of power. So, I mean, admittedly, I've never seen any of Casey Neistat's videos prior to this, but it went viral, and many of the other big YouTubers that I watched were talking about it, like Jacqueline Glenn, uh, Boogie2988. So, uh, I decided to respond to this as well, because even though I think he's a nice guy, he just seems, you know, very genuine, and I agree with this assessment of Donald Trump, there were some parts of the video that I take issue with. So, he said, I'm not a huge fan of Hillary Clinton's stale politics and I'm aware of the criticisms against her and I have a problem with this because you don't get into those criticisms you're not being actually objective because it's more than just stale politics when it comes to Hillary Clinton Casey her politics are dangerous she has a Syrian no-fly zone that would potentially reignite the Cold War her cybersecurity policy could potentially lead to a new world war because she said that she's going to respond to cyber threats militarily and she called out Russia and China and North Korea. That's very troubling. So it's not just her having stale politics and being a centrist. This is about someone who is also dangerous. Now make no mistake, I agree with you that Donald Trump is a very dangerous candidate. 
But Hillary Clinton is also dangerous, and in disliking Donald Trump, you don't have to paint Hillary Clinton as a saint. And that's a problem that many Democratic Party loyalists seem to have. Just because you dislike Donald Trump and are voting against him and supporting Hillary Clinton doesn't mean that you have to convince yourself that Hillary Clinton is just the savior to the Democratic Party. She's not. Her politics are, in fact, stale. She's center-right. She's a warmonger, and she is in the pocket of big business. She embodies and exemplifies everything that we dislike about the political establishment. So you don't have to pretend or convince yourself that she's great. That's why she is the most historically disliked Democratic nominee ever. So you don't have to lie to yourself. You don't have to lie to us. We can be honest about Hillary Clinton, even if we dislike Donald Trump. Another thing he said is that you can't be afraid to stand up for what is right. And I take issue with this because it implies that Hillary Clinton, by voting for her, you're doing what is morally right. How is that the case? How is it not more morally right to vote for Jill Stein? I just don't understand how you could paint Hillary Clinton as the right moral choice, if you're trying to be moral, if you're trying to look out for the American people and citizens abroad, then uh, unless you're uninformed about politics and her policies, I don't see how you can make that case. You can say that, yeah, I'm strategically supporting Hillary Clinton and will be voting for her because I want to defeat Donald Trump. That's fine. But to state that she's not just the superior choice to Trump, but the moral choice is very problematic because Hillary Clinton is a morally bankrupt candidate. There's nothing more immoral than killing innocent civilians with her war policies. And she admitted, according to WikiLeaks, that she knows her Syrian no-fly zone would lead to a lot of civilians getting killed. Is that the moral choice you want to make? Now, look, I'm not saying that Donald Trump will be a pacifist. We all know that he met with defense contractors. He talked about using nuclear weapons and said he wouldn't take using nukes off the table against Europe. He questioned why we can't use nuclear weapons if we have them. So he's a crazy person. But to imply that Hillary Clinton is this, just this savior is, again, I, I really take issue with it. It's very problematic. It's troubling. And Casey isn't the only person that does this. Many people who are now supporting Hillary Clinton are pushing the same narrative, and it's very dangerous. He also said, if this guy gets elected and you stood back with your arms folded, it makes you complicit. It makes you personally responsible for handing him the reins of power. And this is another problematic assertion here because it encourages Democratic Party loyalism rather blindly. I mean, if it's the case that you're complicit for not helping Hillary Clinton get elected, then are you also complicit if you do help Hillary Clinton get elected, if she inevitably starts more wars and kills more civilians in Middle Eastern countries? I mean, I don't know. It's an open question. and I'm not saying this to accuse Casey Neistat or put blood on his hands if Hillary Clinton does start any wars if he votes for her, but I'm just saying I feel very gross about voting for Barack Obama, knowing that he immediately ramped up the drone strikes in Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, and killed so many civilians. And now we have drone wars with Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya. And look, I feel complicit in that. I feel as though I'm an accomplice to murder. My tax dollars are paying for the deaths of civilians abroad. So this is an open question, but I'm just I'm posing this question to Casey. If it's the case that you're an accomplice for Trump getting elected and, you know, you're culpable for anything that he does that helps destroy the country, then are you also guilty for anything Hillary Clinton does that destroys the country? I mean, poverty will inevitably increase under her if she continues with these free trade deals that ship our jobs overseas. Is that not something that's terrible? I mean, just because she's better than Donald Trump, in your opinion, doesn't make her a good candidate. 
And that, I think, is the takeaway from this video. You can, again, support the lesser of two evils to prevent the person who you dislike the most from winning. That's a strategy that many voters use in two-party systems like our own. But you don't have to lie to people and be disingenuous and say that Hillary Clinton is great. I mean, by saying that she just has stale policies, it's, it's way more than that, Casey. It, her policies are very dangerous. Okay, this is the Democratic equivalent of George W. Bush. She supported the Iraq War. She voted for the Patriot Act. I mean, these are policies that are literally eroding our Constitution and the integrity of our democracy. And yet, you're trying to paint her as this morally superior choice and that anyone who doesn't fall in line and support her is somehow unethical. And I think that that's just wrong and problematic. I will not be voting for Hillary Clinton. And I know that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a non-political YouTuber. I've stated who I'm voting for multiple times. I'm voting for Jill Stein because she's the only candidate that I know that I can trust will not start any wars, will not increase poverty, who's actually going to fight to not just mitigate climate change, but help us adapt to a new world that requires green technology, less fossil fuels. That's why I'm supporting Jill Stein. And so the fact that he told people to basically call out these other YouTubers for not supporting Hillary Clinton or speaking out, I, I find that really troubling because effectively you're encouraging trolling. You're saying, hey, if YouTuber X doesn't speak out in favor of Hillary Clinton, then you need to go and call them out. Get them to talk kindly about Hillary Clinton. And many YouTubers like Philip DeFranco and Boogie are coming out saying, look, I don't really support either of these two people. I don't like Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. I'm not enthusiastic to support Hillary Clinton. And I think they're both evil. Hillary Clinton might maybe be the lesser of two evils, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's not really, really, really evil. Look, in the end, I have no bad feelings about Casey Neistat. I think he's probably a nice person. It seems like his videos are very entertaining and fun, but, you know, I, I do disagree with some of the points that he made in this video, and I wanted to kind of address those. Prior to being named as Donald Trump's vice presidential running mate, Mike Pence was politically unknown on the national stage until 2015 when we all came to know him as the bigoted prick governor who literally signed a bill into law that legalizes discrimination against gay people. Now, he claims that this is about religious freedom and that it's not about discrimination because if you're a Christian business owner, you should have the authority to discriminate against gay people and kick them out of your store. You know, the way that Jesus would have wanted it. Well, a new article surfaced from Mike Pence that he wrote in the 1990s showing that, yes, shocker, it was in fact about discrimination. So when it came to the topic of gay-centric business fairs and employer fairs where they would try to attract uh, new employees, well, he basically urged them to not hire people from the LGBT community. So out explains Mike Pence, Donald Trump's running mate in this year's presidential election, published articles urging employers not to hire gay employees while he was head of the Indiana Policy Review in the 1990s. One such article published during Pence's tenure reads, homosexuals are not as a group able-bodied. They are known to carry extremely high rates of disease brought on because of the nature of their sexual practices and the promiscuity, which is a hallmark of their lifestyle. Now, more from Mike Pence, he said, As we understand the nature of both the political and scientific debate, the demand is that gaydom be elevated from a pathological condition or mere sexual preference to the status of one of several natural human divergences like hair or skin color. So, I mean, clearly... 
He's taking an unequivocal stance against gay people. You know, these uh, these aren't like just benign differences like your hair color or the pigment of your skin. These are really substantial differences. If you're a gay person, I mean, you're a pervert. This is a real condition you have here. You're not like other human beings. So he really tried to dehumanize them. And this, honestly, the only thought that I can take from this is that Mike Pence has to be gay. Anyone who's this vehemently anti-gay, they have to have some skeletons in the closet. So if he's not actually gay himself and has hooked up with gay prostitutes, kind of like Ted Haggard, then he at least has something in the closet that is really troubling. Because why would you recoil at homosexuality so much when you hear about it to this extent? I mean, unless you're insecure about yourself. Now, of course, I'm just speculating. This is all ad hominem. And... It doesn't matter regardless if he's gay or not. I mean, he's still a bigot. He's still an asshole. And, you know, him and Donald Trump go hand in hand. They're two peas in a pod because Donald Trump hates brown people and Mike Pence hates gay people. So, I mean, when you put those two together, you have a match made in heaven. This argument that discriminating against gay people, it falls flat on its face because it's unconstitutional and libertarians will be on the side of religious conservatives because they say, look, I mean, this is a free market. If you uh, don't want to support businesses that discriminate, then just don't go to them and they'll go out of business. The free market will sort them out. It's legal for the government to actually prohibit this type of discrimination because this discourages commerce. So if you're a gay person and Alabama kicks people out of their stores or hotels for being gay, then you're not going to want to travel there. And the government, according to the Supreme Court, has the authority to regulate interstate commerce. So when it's states going back and forth and, you know, their their economy, the government has a right to step in and say, hey, this is not good for business. This is not good for the economy. Now, the government doesn't have a right to regulate intrastate commerce, but something like this does, in fact, impact interstate commerce. I agree with the Supreme Court here because if you do set up a law where you can discriminate against gay people, for me, just speaking personally as a gay person, I'm never going to set foot in that state. Why would I give that state my money if they're going to discriminate against me? I don't want to live in that type of environment. It's, you know, freedom to discriminate is not true freedom. If you can treat other people like shit and get away with it, then I have a problem with that. We're not all free in that case. But you can speak out against gay people. Nobody's trying to limit your freedom of speech. But when it comes to money, when it comes to the economy, you don't have a right to be a prick to gay people just because of your religion, okay? How would you like it if a Muslim business owner kicked a Christian out of the store? How would you like it if a gay business owner kicked a Christian out of the store? You wouldn't like it if the shoe was on the other foot. So if you substitute gay with any other type of person, African-American, Latino, atheist, Christian, then you'd see that it is discrimination. So the fact that it's gay people and it's still relatively socially acceptable to discriminate against gay people and treat them like shit, that doesn't give you the authority to actually do it. So Mike Pence is a gigantic bigot and this just confirms what we already know. Donald Trump continues to insist that if he loses this election, it will be because it was rigged against him. And this is a message that resonates with a lot of Trump voters as well as Bernie Sanders voters because we saw how the primary was in fact rigged against Bernie Sanders, who was Hillary Clinton's opponent then. So just logically, if it was rigged then, why wouldn't it be rigged now? And I wanted to take the time to really clarify what Donald Trump is saying, because I think his remarks overall are actually really troubling. So look, let's let's go back and revisit the primary. We saw how the DNC colluded with Clinton's campaign in order to sabotage Bernie Sanders. They tried to limit debates. They restricted his access to Van. 
it was a big debacle. The media didn't cover it, but we know, uh, as revealed in the WikiLeaks release of DNC's emails, that they actively tried to destroy his campaign. Also, the media was against Bernie Sanders, just like the media now is against Donald Trump. So there's some validity to the claim that the odds are kind of stacked against Donald Trump. But by saying that the election is rigged, this is problematic, and you have to be really careful because you're going to walk into a Republican trap if you do buy into what he's saying. Um, why would you think that the election would be rigged? Well, I'm looking at all of these uh, decisions coming on down from the standpoint of identification, voter ID, and I'm saying, what do you mean? You don't have to have voter ID to now go in and vote? And it's a little bit scary, and I've heard a lot of bad things. I must say, four years ago, I was hearing a lot of bad things having to do with the Romney campaign where, uh, you know, when the vote came out, there were some districts that were really shockingly uh, different from what they were anticipated to be. And I've been seeing it and I've been hearing it a lot. But the whole thing with voter ID, identification, I think is really, I mean, people are going to walk in, they're going to vote 10 times, maybe. Who knows? They're going to vote right. 10 times. Now, it was the case that during the primary, there was multiple instances of election fraud. So we saw exit polls were off in multiple states, past the margin of error. Voters were purged from the rolls in cities and precincts where Bernie Sanders had demographic advantages. We also saw voter suppression tactics. And all of these things are evidence of election fraud. But what happened during the primaries against Bernie Sanders is very different from what Donald Trump is claiming will happen at this election. So to a lot of Bernie supporters, they'll hear that and say, well, I mean, the primary was effectively rigged against Bernie, so why wouldn't Hillary rig it again against Donald Trump? But look, we have to acknowledge that voter fraud and election fraud are two very different things. Donald Trump is claiming that voter fraud will occur, but during the primary, election fraud occurred. Now, this is not just the semantical difference. This comes down to culpability. So when voter fraud occurs, that's carried out by individuals. When election fraud occurs, that's carried out by parties and officials. Now, voter fraud itself is very rare, whereas when it comes to election fraud, you can find evidence of it in several precincts in every single election. I mean, for example, in one crucial Floridian precinct in 2000, Al Gore had negative votes, meaning that he had, for example, 1,500 negative votes, and once he earned 1,500 votes, then he'd start at zero against uh, Bush, and then anything he earns after that would go towards his tally. Now, this is a flaw or scam or whatever you want to call it that's evident in the Diebold machines used to count the votes. That's what election fraud is. But Donald Trump is claiming something very different. If you buy into Donald Trump's claim that voter fraud is being committed, you're walking right into a common Republican trap because they claim that you need an ID to vote because voter fraud is so prevalent, but that's bullshit. Yes, it happens, but it's very rare. In fact, it's likely statistically insignificant, and Republicans claim that voter fraud is an issue just so that way they can enforce these voter ID laws, which are specifically designed to disenfranchise poor voters, typically African Americans and Latinos. And what does this do? Why do Republicans care about this? This helps them win, because when poor people and black people and Latinos stay home, guess who has electoral victories? 
the Republicans. So that's why they try to push this false claim that voter fraud is a huge widespread issue when in actuality that's not the case. Now, Republicans do this about multiple things. They talk about Social Security and how it's going bankrupt. So they try to create a problem and then they want to propose a solution to it and the media buys into it and they end up winning based on that. It's very strategic and it works. It's very effective and Democrats walk into that trap too. But I'm warning everyone, don't walk into Donald Trump's trap. Voter fraud is so rare. You can maybe find one or two examples per election where one person votes 10 times. It's not enough to change the results of the election, unlike election fraud, which actually does change the results of the election sometimes. We all know that George Bush in 2000 committed election fraud, or at least he benefited suspiciously enough from election fraud, and that cost Al Gore the election. We all know that Hillary Clinton suspiciously benefited from election fraud against Bernie Sanders, and that cost him the election. One report estimates that he lost 184 pledged delegates due to election fraud. So this isn't something that just Democrats do. Republicans and Democrats both commit election fraud, and they do it in different precincts in different states. So when Donald Trump claims that the election will be rigged due to voter fraud, it's bullshit. He has no evidence for this. He's pulling it out of his ass because he doesn't want to look bad when he inevitably loses. Now, if he's going to claim that election fraud will be an issue, then you can't even know about that until after the election occurs or right before it. So the main takeaway is that we have to be very careful when talking about election fraud and voter fraud because they're two very different things. Voter fraud is very, very rare. It almost never happens. Election fraud is very, very frequent and both parties commit it very often. So don't let Donald Trump try to persuade you that he's disadvantaged in this way when it comes to voter fraud. There's no evidence of voter fraud and most likely that's not going to be what loses him the election. It's going to be his own big mouth. So I mean be very wary when people are trying to cry fraud. Since the infamous Trump video surfaced where he talked to Billy Bush about how he treats women and how consent is a gray area, well all of his arguments are falling flat. I mean, he says that this is basically locker room talk, but in actuality, this is more than locker room talk because there are many women now coming forward confirming that Donald Trump does, in fact, just walk up to women and kiss them without permission. Uh, he does grab them on either their bottoms or their vaginas, but everything that they're saying, well, it's in line with what Donald Trump stated that he did to women. And there are multiple women. And just today, before I did this story, another woman came forward and I didn't even have time to look at her claim. So there's a lot. So Slate put together a summary of all the women thus far that have come out accusing Donald Trump of sexual assault. And it occurred over the last two decades. And it showed that he just has a creepy demeanor and that, you know he sexually assaulted potentially a lot of people if their claims are true. Now, Kathy Heller, in 1997, apparently some 20 years ago, she claims when she met Donald Trump for the first and only time, he grabbed her, went for a kiss, and grew angry with her as she twisted away. Oh, come on, she alleges, he barked before holding her firmly in place and planting his lips on hers. A relative who was there that day didn't see Heller's entire interaction with Trump, but saw him get in her face and saw Heller pull away. He was very forceful. There was also Summer Zervos in 2007. Zervos described two occasions when Trump touched her inappropriately. When she visited him in New York in 2007 to discuss a potential job, she says he kissed her on the lips both when she arrived and when she left. Sometime later, he asked her to meet him at a hotel in Los Angeles for dinner. When he met her at his hotel, he came to me and started kissing me open mouth as he was pulling me toward him, He said, she says. 
She pulled away and sat on a chair until he told her to sit next to him. He then grabbed my shoulder and then began kissing me again very aggressively and placed his hand on my breast. She says she pulled away again only to have him again grab her and try repeatedly to get her to go into the bedroom, suggesting they lay down and watch some telly-telly. She tried to make a joke, but he grabbed her again. I pushed his chest to put space between us, and I told him, Come on, man, get real, and he repeated my words back to me. Get real, as he began thrusting his genitals. He tried to kiss me again, with my hand still on his chest. Wow. So, I mean, he doesn't take no for an answer. He doesn't read the social cues. He doesn't see that when he makes these advances, women clearly aren't interested. Now, Kristen Anderson, in the early 1990s, was another potential victim. She was deep in conversation with acquaintances at a crowded Manhattan night spot and did not notice the figure to her right on a red velvet couch until she recalls his fingers slid under her miniskirt, moved up her inner thigh, and touched her vagina through her underwear. And then there was Natasha Stoyov, who was a journalist for People magazine that was interviewing him and Melania. And uh, while Melania was getting changed, Stoyanov says, Trump took her to another room. Within seconds, he was pushing me against the wall and forcing his tongue down my throat, she says in an account of the incident for people. Later, he told her, you know, we're going to have an affair, don't you? She told a colleague after the trip and thought about reporting it, but she writes, I was ashamed and blamed myself for this transgression. I minimized it. It's not like he raped me. I doubted my recollection and my reaction. I was afraid that a famous, powerful, wealthy man could and would discredit and destroy me, especially if I got his coveted people feature killed. And then there was Jessica Leeds in the early 1990s. She was on a flight and was upgraded from coach to first class and alleges Mr. Trump raised the armrest, moved toward her, and began to grope her. Miss Leeds said she recoiled and she quickly left the first class cabin and returned to coach, she said. There was also Rachel Crooks in 2005. In an elevator with Trump, they shook hands, but Mr. Trump would not let go, she said. Instead, he began kissing her cheeks. Then, she said, he kissed me directly on the mouth. There was also Mindy McGilvery in 2003, and she was groped by Trump at Mar-a-Lago, where he reportedly grabbed her behind. Now, there was also Aaron Burnett on CNN, who claims that Trump tried to kiss her friend on the mouth. There was Cassandra Searles from 2013, and she was competing in Trump's Miss USA pageant and claimed that Trump grabbed her behind as well. There was also Temple Taggart in 1997. She was Miss Utah in that year and claims that Donald Trump forcefully kissed her on the mouth. Now, there was also Jill Harth in a lawsuit against Donald Trump, who claims he harassed her, eventually escalating to what she calls attempted rape. In July of 2016, she told The Guardian, he pushed me up against the wall and had his hands all over me and tried to get up my dress again, and I had to physically say, what are you doing? Stop it. And then there was Ivana Trunk, who is his ex-wife, that claims that he made her feel violated during sex. So all of these stories are very similar. All of these women are sharing the same experience with Donald Trump. He was very forceful. He made sexual advances and wouldn't take no for an answer. And look, he's claiming... That these are just tools of the DNC. These women are lying for the DNC, which would be illegal. But we have to be skeptical, yes, of the dirty tricks that Hillary Clinton's campaign will use. But there's zero evidence that these women are Clinton campaign operatives, as he suggested was the case at the third debate. And furthermore, his own words validates what these women are saying. I'm going to use some tic-tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just like, I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. 
could do anything. So if you take Donald Trump for his word, then all of the claims from these women who have come forward, I think they're credible. I think we have to take them at their word because Donald Trump admitted to Billy Bush he does this type of shit. He wasn't embellishing. He was being truthful that, yes, he does do this to women. He's very forceful. Consent is a gray area for Donald Trump. I was flabbergasted throughout the week as I saw more and more and more and more victims come forward. It's like, really? I mean, what is it going to take for you to just straight up drop out? I mean, I don't know what would happen. I know he's on the ballot in many states already, so it might be too late. But, I mean, this is a huge bombshell it's really really disturbing and it shows he just has a very creepy demeanor now the question is why would these women all wait until now that's that's what trump supporters are saying as a defense aren't they just doing this for political purposes to defeat donald trump well i mean sure that's something that you have to look at but think about it this way if donald trump did this to you would you want to come forward I mean, when you have as much money as Donald Trump has, you have as much power as you can possibly imagine. So Donald Trump could destroy these women. So it's not going to be the case that they're going to be inclined to speak out unless someone else does. And so when one person speaks out, it usually opens the floodgates. That's kind of what we saw with Bill Cosby. That's what we see with serial sexual offenders or sexual assaulters. So look, we don't know. We don't have all the details. But all I'm saying is that I'm going to take Donald Trump at his word. He claims that he walks up to women and kisses them and grabs them by the pussy. So when these women come out and say, yeah, he actually does do that, I think that their claims are credible and we have to take them for their words since Donald Trump, of course, admitted to it. Now, we need evidence. Of course, that's the case as well. But I mean, if you don't think that Donald Trump is capable of this, if you think every single one of these women are lying just to defeat Donald Trump, I think that you're just not being fully objective here. Donald Trump, we know he's a creeper at least. So at worst, the fact that he might be sexually assaulted multiple women, this isn't surprising to me. So I want to take a minute to talk about Donna Brazil, otherwise now known as Donna Do Anything for Hillary Brazil, because she's proven that she is not any less corrupt than Debbie do anything for Hillary Wasserman Schultz. So if we're going to have a new DNC interim chair that's going to be just as corrupt as the last and we called for her to resign, then I think it's time that we call for Donna do anything for Hillary Brazil to resign as well because she's proven that she's really dirty when it comes to trying to help Hillary Clinton at Bernie Sanders' disadvantage. And if you watch a video from TYT Politics, Jordan Sheridan actually pushed her on her claim that Russia is the one that hacked WikiLeaks because she wanted to avoid the substance of this. And uh, all she could say was that, you know, it was Russia. And when he pressured her for it, she actually had the audacity to say, oh, you're going to talk to a woman this way? But what about you passing a question to Hillary Clinton's campaign, the town hall before? You're welcome. Yes, a journalist asking a question is badgering you. You've said it on Russia. You passed the question. Jake Tapper has also said you passed the question. Do you have anything to say about that? So she used identity politics when Russia wasn't working to try to evade criticism over her colluding with Clinton when she worked for CNN. That's very troubling. That's very troubling. You should not work for a network if you belong to a campaign or a political party. That just means that they're going to do propaganda for them. And that's not just, you know, Donna Brazil, but Corey Lewandowski as well. Trump's old campaign manager or campaign operative, but CNN hired him too. So CNN needs to pull its own head out of its ass and stop hiring people from both parties. Stop hiring people from the campaigns. But we know they're not going to do that because CNN is just 
not even news. They're just parody at this point. Now, the thing about Donna Brazile is that she has to step down because in the DNC emails that were released, she was talking shit about Bernie Sanders back then as well. And now we see that she colluded with Hillary Clinton during the primaries to give her questions in advance during a town hall. And when pressed about it, all she could do was mention Russia. And when Jordan didn't allow her to use that line, then she implied that he's sexist. So I will put a link in the description box so you can watch Jordan's video because I think it's just brilliant, but I'm hoping other people join me in calling for her to step down because if Debbie do anything for Hillary Wasserman Schultz, rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders, and she had to resign because of it, I think it's only fair to Debbie that Donna does the same thing. I mean, if Donna is also a Donna do anything for Hillary, then she has to step down too. Unless we get someone who's not corrupt, then we're going to keep cycling through all of these DNC chairs, interim or not. So I don't care if she's only a temporary DNC chair. It's time for her to go as well. So I'm hoping that you all will join me in asking her to resign. So the final presidential debate occurred, and I will now give you my breakdown, and I, <laughs> I'm going to have to start by just saying I am incredibly relieved that this is the last debate that I'll have to suffer through. I know a lot of my viewers said that they were tuning out, that they were not watching the debates because they were just, they weren't constructive. You didn't learn anything new about the candidates, anything that we already know about them and we dislike about them. It really was exacerbated in these debates because we saw how they interact with each other, how it always just turns into insult matches, and it's just not something that is fun to watch if you want at least a shred of optimism about the direction that our country's headed in. So the good news is that one of these people will lose and go away, hopefully uh, forever. So out of all of the three debates so far, just kind of looking at all of them, I thought that they were all pretty close. So with the first debate, I thought that they were almost tied, but I gave Hillary Clinton the edge. With the second debate, I thought that Donald Trump won, although relatively close. Now, when it comes to the third debate, I think that Hillary Clinton won this debate. Now, did she absolutely hand him his own ass? No, she didn't. I think that she performed well, and what Donald Trump really needed, uh, given that he's down in the polls and he's basically hemorrhaging support among Republican women and these scandals are really shaking his campaign, he needed a blowout. He needed to really put her in her place and make her look bad and he didn't do that so I think that this debate might have actually been the final nail in the coffin because her lead in many swing states her lead in the polls when you look at aggregate polling results it's just huge and I don't know that he's going to be able to overcome it so this debate did not help him now just to give you my general take on the debate I actually thought coming into the debate that Hillary Clinton would probably be at a disadvantage because Chris Wallace was hosting it. And we all know that Chris Wallace is very conservative. He bashed Jill Stein and tried to make her look bad. So I thought that he would try to do the same thing with Hillary Clinton. But in actuality, he was fairer than I thought. So I do have to give him credit where credit is due. Was he a phenomenal moderator? No, because everything that he asked them, it was all worded or framed with the right-wing slant, and that I had problems with. However, uh, Hillary Clinton performed well in spite of this disadvantage, probably because, let's face it, she's a right-winger herself. Now, Trump, generally speaking, he tends to start making good points, but then he'll realize he's making good, a good point, and then he'll repeat himself. And then I think that whatever point he was going to make, it loses its value. So I think just generally speaking, he's not a very good debater, and it shows. He's just kind of the average person. He's not particularly charismatic. He's not at all charismatic, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that, you know, he really fumbled a lot during this debate, and it wasn't a good look for him. Now, there were also a couple of times where Donald Trump got visibly angry and showed that 
He just doesn't have the temperament to be president. If you can't hold your composure during a debate, then how are you going to hold your composure during intense negotiations with foreign leaders? So, I mean, that was not a good look for him. And one thing that I have to commend Hillary Clinton on is that for maybe the first half of the debate, I thought that she performed well based on policy substance, not attacking Trump, but soon enough, it turned into an insult match. Now, when it comes to Hillary Clinton, I thought that her performance was consistent. Certainly, she's a great debater. Uh, even though I think Bernie Sanders probably beat her in every single debate, I think that there were times where she backed him into a corner and he was not able to recover from it. And regardless if you believe her or not, I don't believe her when it comes to certain issues. Like she talks about wanting to raise the minimum wage. She talks about tuition-free colleges uh, at public universities. I don't necessarily believe she's going to fight for these things, but if you're an average viewer, I think that's going to resonate with you. Uh, so I think Hillary Clinton won overall. Now getting to the specifics, when it comes to the Supreme Court, I think that Hillary Clinton gave answers that were virtually perfect when it comes to gun control, when it comes to abortions. Uh, she came off as someone that's reasonable, and if you're kind of on the fence about these issues, like a lot of Americans are, I think that what she said will resonate. And Trump tried to really paint her as this crazy person because of her support of partial birth abortions. But she really was correct to frame it in light that, look, we don't we don't like these things. These are terrible occurrences that happen, but they occur to save the life of the mother. And I'm saying that government shouldn't be allowed to make that decision. They shouldn't decide whether or not the baby or the mother lives. And I think she came off as reasonable. Trump came off as someone who tried to fearmonger too much, and it wasn't a good look. Now, she also dominated him on immigration. Uh, I mean, she explained how Trump himself exploits undocumented workers and how that hurts our jobs. Look, there wasn't all bad stuff here against Trump. He's correct that Obama is basically the deporter-in-chief. He didn't say that, but many progressives call him that because he has sent so many undocumented immigrants out and is the president that deported the most undocumented immigrants. So that's really something that's frustrating coming from a liberal president. Now, on WikiLeaks, it was really obnoxious that Hillary Clinton decided to bring up Russia again, and I'm glad that Donald Trump called her out on that pivot. That was a strong moment. And there were other moments for Donald Trump that were great. He talked about how Hillary Clinton is effectively playing chicken with Russia and how she keeps fear-mongering with Russia. And that's something that's incredibly scary. If you're a progressive, that's not what you want to hear. She sounds like a Republican when she's talking about Syria, when she's talking about Russia, and Donald Trump sounds like the liberal here, so I have to commend him for these things. Now, he also made some points about Hillary Clinton's corruption. There was a really powerful moment when he said, look, you say you care about human rights, why don't you give back the money that the Clinton Foundation took from Saudi Arabia? He made strong points on Haiti and how the Clinton Foundation was not very helpful in Haiti because she tried to pivot away from Clinton Foundation corruption by saying, look, this foundation, it's, it's given a great rating uh, it, and it does great work. Well, sure, but that's still a pivot. It's still very corrupt. It sets up a great conflict of interest between you and your presidency. It did between you and your State Department. However, she was able to evade criticism pretty well by throwing the Trump Foundation under the bus and saying, look, this foundation is corrupt as well. And Donald Trump also made a really strong point that her free trade policies make it difficult for him as a businessman to not buy or manufacture products made in America. So, I mean, he had his moments overall, but in the end, Hillary Clinton, I think, outshined him. I mean, it was a powerful moment when she said, look, I'm happy to compare my 30 years of experience to his 30 years. While I was capturing Osama bin Laden, he was filming The Apprentice. I think that's something that's going to resonate with the American people. And he's right that, you know, her experience, it hasn't been that great. She has a long resume, but in terms of her performance, she 
wasn't a very good Secretary of State. However, I think when you just think about how the general audience will respond to that, I think they're going to be on Hillary Clinton's side. Now, when it came down to Wallace talking about the nine women that came forward thus far uh, accusing Donald Trump of sexual assault, uh, I think that that was basically the nail in the coffin for Donald Trump. There was really no way that he could defend himself. And look, it was relatively clever for him to link the women who are accusing him of sexual assault to AstroTurf by Democrats that was revealed in the recent James O'Keefe video. But I mean, it's not persuasive seeing that his own comments can be corroborated with their story. I mean, Donald Trump said that he grabs women by their body parts. So when you say that you do things like that and you say that you just walk up to women and kiss them, none of these accusations are not in line with what you said. So your own comments defeat you, Donald Trump. Now, when he said nobody has more respect for women than I do, the audience just straight up laughed because it was a joke. We know that you don't respect women. And at that point, I think that's the moment right there where that might have been what you heard as the final nail in his coffin. It was just so bad and cringeworthy. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Nobody has more respect. Please, everybody. Grab him by the pussy. Oh my God. Stop fucking lying. And it looked like he just desperately wanted to get off of the topic of sexual assault. He tried to bring up ISIS and whatnot. It was bad. So in the end, I don't think Donald Trump won this debate. Again, he had some great moments, but overall, Hillary Clinton just had a more consistent performance. She looked more solid, and I think that where it counts with undecided voters, I think Hillary Clinton, by and large, performed very well. Now, when you look at the poll that I did on Twitter, uh, my Twitter followers overwhelmingly think that Donald Trump won this debate, and I think that there are ways that you can spin this to make that be the case. However, I personally just don't see how he won this debate, especially with that painful sexual assault portion of it. I mean, look, there was a portion of the debate where Hillary Clinton got pummeled for corruption with the Clinton Foundation, but in the end, it wasn't as powerful as that sexual assault moment. I think that was really devastating for his campaign. So, I mean, in the end, I'm glad that the debates are over. I'm sick of hearing from these two people. I'm sick of watching them insult each other. I think we all are ready to move on, and what Donald Trump needed was to win this debate decisively, and I don't think that he did that. I don't think he pulled off the win, and again, he had his moments, but Hillary Clinton, I think, just had a more consistent performance when it comes to her temperament. She proved that she's more presidential. She doesn't get visibly angered at things that Donald Trump says, and he said some pretty strong and harsh things against her. So Donald Trump, he just didn't look good. He didn't argue for his points well enough. He got sidetracked. He repeated himself. And for that reason, I think he lost. And Hillary Clinton ultimately won and probably now has the election on lock because of it. So unless something dramatic happens... Within the next three weeks, um, Donald Trump is probably going to lose this election, let's face it. And, uh, you know, if he did win, that would be a political upset. It'd be a huge political upset, in my opinion, but I just don't think that it's in the cards for him. I think Hillary Clinton is going to win because he's proven time and again, not only does he not have the temperament to be president, but he's just wrong on the policies. I mean, even if you believe him and believe that he's more honest and trustworthy than Hillary Clinton, which I don't, I think they're both equally uh, deceptive, but I mean, he just has bad policies. He argues for trickle-down economics. That's been debunked. I don't think the American people are on your side when it comes to this issue. So in the end, you know, I think it's a wrap for Donald Trump. All right, so in this week's voicemail, I have a viewer who is asking basically what I'm going to do if Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is elected. What will my response be? Hey, Mike. Um, I am an avid viewer of yours and several other 
people on YouTube who are real progressives. And what troubles me is I see a continuous cycle of everyone, you know, including you, we, we talk about all the corruption that is going on, obviously from Hillary Clinton and everyone involved with her. As the WikiLeaks keeps coming out and the media is now turning it into, uh, you know, these are fake and, and diverting using Russia and all that. Um, so it's very troubling to see that there's, it seems like there's no way to, you know, have this revolution. And I would like to know what are your ideas moving forward if Hillary Clinton does become president or even Trump, but what do we do? We can't just keep this hamster wheel of people that I know, Hillary supporters will not listen. They will not listen to us. They don't believe us. So I don't know what to do. I don't know what we can do as a movement. Well, thank you for the voicemail. And, you know, to answer your question, basically, my goal is to do everything possible from the next four to eight years to mitigate damage, to stop them from hurting the country and putting us further back from making progress. So I think that we'd probably go further back with Donald Trump, especially on social issues. But when it comes to foreign policy, it's an open question. With Hillary Clinton, we might get more involved with other wars, and I'm going to do everything I can to speak out against that. Now, it is the case that currently, you know, everyone is brainwashed by Hillary Clinton. If you're liberal, you've convinced yourself that Hillary Clinton is not just the means to an end to defeat Trump, but you've convinced yourself that she's a great candidate, which is untrue. And I think that everyone is seemingly enamored with Hillary Clinton right now because when you vote for someone, you want to be inspired by that person. You want to feel the way you felt when you voted for Barack Obama for the first time. And, you know, people kind of do these mental gymnastics to convince themselves that Hillary Clinton is a great candidate, but that's not the case. And I think that as soon as the election is over, you're going to see that they're going to quickly grow dissatisfied with her because she is a conservative. Now, look, I would love to be wrong. If I'm wrong about Hillary Clinton, I will swallow my pride and eat my own words. I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love for her to raise the minimum wage. I don't think she's really going to fight hard for these things, but if she does, great. Prove me wrong, Hillary. I want to be proven wrong. But the problem is that I'm probably going to be proven right. And if that's the case, we're going to have to fight our asses off to prevent her or Trump from damaging the country. Well, that's all the videos that we have time for this week. I want to thank everyone for tuning in so loyally each week. And uh, also want to welcome all the new subscribers to the channel. We're growing pretty fast. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just exciting. We passed 75,000 subscribers. We are well on our way to 100,000. So this is, this is so exciting for me to watch the numbers grow every single day, to watch the viewer base just expand. It's so great. So look, if you made it this far in the episode, thank you so much. Uh, I will see you next week.